So Acts chapter 9 and then in verse 15 and 16. But the Lord said unto him, Go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me, to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. So that was the vision and the word given to Ananias. And Ananias was going to be Saul's friend to help him get his start in his ministry and to gain some credibility with the Christians who did not trust Saul. They did not believe that he was truly converted and they thought that he was just being a wily uh, devil of a man trying to get into their fellowship so that he could find out who the Christians were and kill them. So they thought this was all a trick, and Ananias was sent by the Lord to help him, and also to help him to be baptized. So I'll go ahead and have a word of prayer, and we'll get into this. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word. Thank you for all that we've uh, uh, experienced together so far tonight, the fellowship, and for the songs, Lord, and how much they mean to us, and a Savior worth singing about. And Lord, um, we could, uh, we're going to sing for eternity, and, and praise our Savior, and He's worthy. And so in Jesus Christ's name we pray and ask for your blessing tonight. Amen. Amen. So uh, Ananias in verse 17 went his way. He was going to mind the Lord and do what the Lord told him to do. And you know that's all that's really expected of any one of us is just to mind the Lord and do what he tells us to do. From time to time he'll just put things on your heart. And our job is just to obey every impulse of the Lord. When he nudges us to do something just go ahead and do it. And, uh, and then uh, that's all he'll hold us accountable for, not for success or results, but just for our faithfulness. So if the Lord says, ask that person if they're a Christian, give them a track, just do it. And whether or not they get converted on the spot, just trust the Lord for the results. If the Lord says, teach a Sunday school class and teach those unruly kids, you know, uh, pick them up, take them to church. And they're, they're, you know, they do a lot of fussing and it's a lot of trouble. Don't, and you say, well, then they never got converted and this kind of thing. And, and they just went off out into the world at 12 or 13. Trust the Lord for the results. Our job is just to mind the Lord and do what he wants us to do. And that's what Ananias did. So he went his way and he entered into the house putting his hands on him, said, you see it there, brother, brother Saul. Saul was already converted when he met Ananias before his baptism. He called him brother. Now, unless you think that that's a small matter, look a little bit farther down in the chapter and notice in verse 30, this is how Christians referred to themselves, Christian men. In verse 30, um, well, verse 29, we'll show you the distinction. They're uh, coming in, going out of Jerusalem, and, and Paul spake boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus. He disputed against the Grecians. There's one group of people. Who are the Grecians? Those were Jews that were born outside of Jewish territory, and they had Greek culture and the Greek language and the Greek dress and all that stuff, but they were Jews, but they were Greek in their uh, manner of life, and they were called Grecians in the Bible. So these are Jewish people. And uh, then you have in verse 30, which when the brethren, there's a distinction there. Do you see that? The brethren are referring to the Christians. Now hold on a minute. You got to think a little bit about what you're reading. Everybody so far that's getting saved are Jews. Either Jews or Jewish proselytes. We haven't seen our first Gentile, truly Gentile proselyte. We're going to see that in chapter 10. So everyone who's gotten saved are Jews or Jewish converts. 
So you have a distinction between the Grecians that are not yet saved and then the brethren. You see that? So when Ananias calls Paul or Saul his brother, he's saying Saul's a believer. Okay, back in verse 17, you say, why is that so important? Because we have to show that Saul was converted when he saw Jesus and believed, just like every one of us here, not when he was baptized. He was not born again. He's about ready to get baptized, but it didn't happen when he got in the water. (laughs) It happened when he saw the Lord. Um, So he says, brother Saul, the Lord, even Jesus that appeared unto thee in the way as thou camest, hath sent me that thou mightest receive thy sight, number one, and number two, be filled with the Holy Ghost. And immediately there fell from his eyes, as it had been scales, and he received sight forthwith, and arose and was baptized. You see, for three days he was blind. That's one of the things that the Lord did. He looked up into the sky and saw a bright light, and something happened. The Lord blinded Saul, and it says... You say, uh, is it literal? I take it to be literal that there were something like scales that fell from his eyes when Ananias came to see him. And then it says that he received his sight and then arose and was baptized. Now that's important because 1 Corinthians 15 verse 8, we read that Paul said, that when he was born, he was born of the, when he saw the Lord. So he tells us when he was converted. It's when he saw the Lord on the road to Damascus. Upon seeing the Lord, he believed, obviously. And it changed everything. His life right now is in turmoil. Because he doesn't, his, he realizes his whole understanding of the Old Testament has been wrong. His, his, uh, his uh, measure of Jesus Christ of Nazareth was wrong. And so... He was blinded. So, but he said he, when he saw the Lord, he was converted, you see. And then he was blinded. And then three days later, was baptized. He did not see the Lord when he was baptized. I'm trying to go over that and go over that and go over that again. Because you have certain people who will say, you're born again when you're baptized. And it's just not true. It's just not true. So, um, he, uh, his, he, he receives sight. And it looks to me... Like, Saul has trouble with his eyes for the rest of his ministry. Would you follow me to Galatians chapter 6? So you go Acts, Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Galatians. So you turn to the right. Acts, Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Galatians chapter 6. And it looks to me like... Like he had eye trouble. And uh, this may be the thorn in the side that he had throughout his ministry. So I'll just try to make a case for it. And you can, you can uh, search the scriptures for yourself on this thing. But Galatians chapter 6 and verse 11. You see how large a letter I have written unto you with mine own hand. Now the... Galatian letter is not that long of a letter. And his, his, uh, his manner was to have somebody else be a penman for him. If you read like the end of, of uh, Corinthians, you'll see that. He would have somebody else write for him. But this particular letter, he wrote it with his own hand. 
And it appears that he's talking about he's writing large letters in large print. Just like when your eyes start to go, you need a large print Bible. He says, you see how large of a letter. Compare that with 1 Corinthians 16, verse 21. So go back to the left and go back a couple of books to 1 Corinthians, at the end of 1 Corinthians, to chapter 16 and verse 21. Getting to know this man, Saul of Tarsus, and to understand his ministry. Very, very important. Very, very important for us. To understand the nature of his ministry and the nature of the Lord's dealings with him. So in 1 Corinthians 16 and then 21, you see here that Paul said, The salutation of me, Paul, his name later being changed to Paul, with mine own hand. If any man love not the Lord Jesus. So he didn't write everything himself. But at the end, he wrote the salutation with his own hand. Maybe because he had eye trouble and was not able to do it on his own. And that's why he had the help that he had. I want to bring up just one more. And uh, I'll read it to you. Colossians 4.18. Paul says here again, The salutation by the hand of me, Paul, remember my bonds and grace be with you. So come back to the book of Acts now, and uh, on your way we'll pick up another reference there. And he says to those believers, uh, he says to them in one place, in, uh, let's see, let's pick it up in Acts 16. I believe it's Acts 16. He says in one place, no, no, it's, uh, it's Galatians. Just come back to Acts chapter 9. He says to the believers in Galatians, he said that uh, if it were possible, you would have given me your eyes. Well, now I've lost my reference there. If it were possible, he said, you would have plucked out your own eyes and given them to me. We'll, we'll come across it eventually. But uh, I had that before I came here, and I didn't write it down. But we'll come across it on our way along in this study at one point in time or another. So Paul says that if it were possible, you would have given me your eyes. And uh, now it's just going to bother me till I find it. So I'm going to have to. I think it is in Galatians 4. Um, 4.15, there it is. Yes. So, verse 14, And my temptation, this is Galatians 4, I'll just read it to you. My temptation which was in my flesh, ye despise not. So Paul had some sort of a problem with his flesh, with his body. And for him, it was a temptation. Temptation to complain. A temptation to be uh, maybe less than satisfied or to uh, say to the Lord, you know, why did you leave me with this problem? But it was a real trial for him, whatever this thorn was in the flesh. He says, My temptation which was in my flesh, ye despised not, nor rejected, but received me as an angel of God, even as Christ Jesus. So wherever Paul went, people received him just like he was the Lord. But he had a problem with his flesh, and I think it was his sight. 
I think he had some sort of abnormality with his eyes. After those scales fell off, I don't think his eyesight was ever the same. And, uh, and he says, the reason why I believe that is because verse 15, Where is then the blessedness ye spake of? For I bear you record that it, if it had been possible, ye would have plucked out your own eyes and have given them to me. Galatians 4.15 So I believe the temptation in his flesh has something to do with his eyes. And I think the Lord gave him this trial, this thorn in the flesh, this difficulty to keep him humble. Because Saul received a great deal of revelation of truth. He received more than the apostles, the original 11 that were that more than, than what Jesus taught them, Paul received greater revelation. We're going to learn about it as we go along. He knew things that they didn't know. He got things that they didn't get. Not only that, Paul was taken to heaven and received a revelation in heaven and came back and said he wasn't allowed to talk about it. With everything that he got to do, the way that the Lord used him so mightily, went about starting churches all over the place, evangelized the known world. Don't you think that a man could get puffed up and full of himself uh, being able to do things like that? I've seen it in churches, and I've seen it in preachers. When preachers start to become braggarts, start to become puffed up, I've seen God humble them. And uh, I don't want it to happen to me. I surely don't. But I've seen it in Christians, too. Christians start to get proud and think they're the cock of the walk and walk around and strut their stuff in church and start to come in and have a chip on their shoulder and criticizing everybody and think they're running the, the thing. And then God has to humble them. That's his manner of doing things. God will humble us with a thorn in the flesh. And I don't want that for anybody here, and I don't want it for myself. So don't let it be you. Here's the thing, though. Paul's a pattern saint. Back in Acts chapter 9, back in Acts chapter 9, he, he said that, uh, he's, the Lord said to him in uh, verse 16, said of Saul, I'm going to show him how great things he must suffer for my namesake. That's the same thing that's going to happen to the church. You see, what Saul was going to go through was going to be a pattern for the rest of the church age. Did the first century church suffer? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And they say today that Christians suffer more than they ever have in church history. There's more persecution. This is a pattern for for Christians that we are going to suffer. We are going to have weakness in the flesh. We're going to have trials and temptations. We're going to want to do things. We're going to want to serve the Lord. And the whole time we're trying to serve the Lord, we're going to struggle with one thing or another. If that's you, and I'm sure it is, and if it's not, it will be. When, when, you, when we go through things like that, when we feel like, why is it such a struggle to serve the Lord? We're going to suffer. We're going to have trials. We're going to have temptations. That is the Lord's way of keeping his, his children humble. And that's just what it's like to live in a world like this that's going to oppose what we do. So we see him suffering from the very beginning. And uh, even though those scales fell off of his eyes, he arose and he was baptized and he was on his way to serve the Lord. Do you think the Lord made him healthy and wealthy and wise? Blessed him and gave him a jet to get him all around the world for his ministry and put him in a Cadillac, you know, and gave him a, a summer house to vacation in Tahiti or something like that. Dub, yeah. 
You think he did all that for him? No. He went about his entire life in ministry being sick. And he needed a doctor. He kept a personal doctor with him. So that will throw your whole health and wealth uh, theology out the window. Because it's not the Lord's will for everybody to be healthy and wealthy. So Saul was going to be a pattern saying he was going to suffer. And, but here he is. He's baptized in verse 18. And when he received meat in verse 19, because he'd been fasting for three days from water and from food, he received meat and was strengthened. Then was Saul certain days with the disciples which were at Damascus. And straightway, what did he do? He preached Christ in the synagogues. That he is the Son of God. He was called to preach from the moment that he was converted. And as a matter of fact, he said that his calling started in his mother, mother's womb, that he was separated to the Lord for his entire life. And he, got, he started to go about as his manner was. We're going to see his manner and the pattern of his life. First thing he would do is every Sabbath, he would go into the synagogue and preach Christ, it says. He would preach that he is the Son of God. You know what the synagogue is, right? <clears throat> It's like the Jewish meeting house. Just a brief history on it. They started meeting in synagogues when they were taken out of their land and brought to Babylon. And in Babylon, when the Jews were uh, dispersed from their land, they started meeting at the synagogue. And they developed a synagogue worship and uh, service because they couldn't go to their temple and meet. So they had to have some kind of a substitute. And then after the 70-year captivity in Babylon, they were brought back to their land. And they continued with the synagogue worship all the way up to the time of Christ. Beth and I uh, had the privilege of sitting in one synagogue that was around what they thought was uh, the hometown of Peter. And we sat in a synagogue that was just, you know, uh, just the remains of, a, of one that goes all the way back to the first century, the foundation of it went all the way back to the first century. And you could see a difference in the color of the stone that was used to build the foundation because they took a, from a local quarry and put that stone down for the original synagogue, which was the one that Jesus actually stood in and uh, preached during his ministry. And then Upon that was built another synagogue, and it had different stone because the limestone was brought from Jerusalem. And so what we were actually sitting in was not the actual room of the, uh, the synagogue that Jesus preached in. The foundation for that was right below us. But it's an ancient form of worship, and it was still just fascinating to be there, to just know. I'm standing right here, right about where Jesus would have been sitting, because their way of doing it was they would come in, they would read Scripture, and then Jesus would sit down, and he would teach. He was a rabbi. Same thing with Saul. He would come into a synagogue. Someone would read scripture. And then they would say to anyone that's visiting, to say to the brethren, anyone here have a word. And that's when he would have his opportunity. He wouldn't just stand up and interrupt the meeting. But he would have his opportunity to stand up and to preach. And just imagine, you know, everybody saying, what on earth has gotten into Saul? Because he was the greatest persecutor of the church. He hated Christians, the followers of the way, and hated Christ. Here he was preaching the Christ, and, and uh, he was on the side of the Christians now. What a change. Now, you may not have known this about his early ministry, but we've got to see this, okay? So let's take our Bibles, and let's turn back to Galatians chapter 1. This time I know right where we're going to. Galatians chapter 1 and verse 14. 
the Lord uh, sent Saul off to Bible school. He went to the Bible Institute in the wilderness right after he got saved. And so he met with believers there. He was baptized by Ananias. He started preaching right away in the synagogues. And then the Lord sent him out to the wilderness of Sinai. That's where Moses received the Ten Commandments. And the Lord, it, it, uh, it seems plain enough to see, plain enough for anyone to see, the Lord spent some time teaching him the mysteries and giving him the revelations that he would give to the church. So Galatians chapter 1 and verse uh, 15 When it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace to reveal his son in me, that I might preach him among the heathen, immediately I conferred not with flesh and blood. Now this is important. If you don't know where I'm coming from, you don't understand how I'm trying to set this up. But I want to tell you, this is important, okay? This is foundational to your understanding of the New Testament. When... He says, when the Lord separated me and gave me a calling, he's called to preach and told him he was going to preach among the heathen. So he was going to go outside of Judea and out of the Jewish area. What does he say? Immediately in verse 16, I conferred not with flesh and blood. He did not get together with other Christians or other disciples uh, and he did not get together with the 11 that followed Jesus. He said, I didn't get together with them and have a conference and say, all right, teach me everything that Jesus taught you. I'm a brand new believer. Teach me everything. No, he said immediately, I did not do that. So the Lord separated Saul from the 11 and from all the uh, Jewish Christian teaching that had been given so far. Verse 17, neither went I up to Jerusalem to them which were apostles before me, But I went into Arabia and returned again unto Damascus. When you put the timeline together, he was, from the time that he was converted to the time that he left Damascus, he was there for three years. Okay? So if you come back, well, no, just keep reading for a minute before we come back. Verse 18. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem. So you see that? So the three years from the time that he was converted to the time that he left Damascus and went up to Jerusalem have to be accounted for. What happened during those three years? So come back to Acts chapter 9. We don't know that he was in the desert for three years. We don't know that for sure. Um, But he spent a significant amount of time with the Lord around Mount Sinai, right where Moses received the Ten Commandments, And he received revelation that later on he would say that he received from the Lord. He received it from no man. Received it from the Lord. You've got to understand this. We have to understand this as the church. Paul is different. He's a different character. God had an entirely different purpose for him than he did for the eleven. And uh, you'll see as you go along in your understanding and as you learn this stuff in the New Testament, you'll see... Just uh, that is not an underestimation of of, uh, the importance of this ministry. So back in Acts chapter 9, in uh, verse 19, so he 
was certain days with the disciples which were at Damascus, and straightway he preached Christ in the synagogues. Within that three-year period, there was a time that was spent out in the Arabian desert, and then there was the other amount of time that was spent in Damascus. We don't know how much exactly was spent in one place or the other, but we do know it was three years. And uh, verse 21, But all that heard him were amazed and said, Is not this he that destroyed them which called on this name in Jerusalem and came hither for that intent, that he might bring them bound unto the chief priests? But Saul increased the more in strength and confounded the Jews which dwelt at Damascus, proving that this is very Christ or truly Christ. That's what that word very means, truth or truly. So he increased in more strength. How did he do that? Well, the Lord was just blessing him. Wherever God guides, he provides, right? He received the revelation from Jesus in the desert. And he has all of this teaching. And Saul was a man who was trained. Uh, and he said he was above his, 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 uh, his peers. He was... A very highly intelligent man. He was a scholar. Um, but what he had that he confounded them with was simply the scriptures and the truth as it is in Jesus Christ. And he was, he was convincing the Jews. And some were being saved. So we cannot miss the fact that he was uh, a man who was evangelizing Jews. He always started with Jews. But his primary ministry was to... Gentiles, to us, to the nations. And, uh, but he always began with the Jews because the gospel goes to the Jew first and also to the Greek after that. So verse 23, And after that many days were fulfilled, the Jews took counsel to kill him. <laughs> but their laying await was known of Saul, and they watched the gates day and night to kill him. So there's a good preacher. Somebody said the problem with preachers these days is that nobody wants to kill him anymore. And uh, that's because a lot of preachers have taken to soft-soaping the truth, you know, and and uh, stroking the cat the right way and keeping all the tithers happy and, you know, tiptoeing around the tithers and uh, being men-pleasers, no longer standing up and just preaching the truth. Uh, Paul... He preached. He preached hard, and he made people mad at him. He wasn't there to please men. He was there to please one, and that was the Lord Jesus Christ. And that will always happen <clears throat> when the truth is preached. Uh, there will be people who will scoff. And they wanted to kill him because they were Jews. And uh, the Jews always, always were, were trying to uh, oppose the gospel and stop the gospel. Um, then verse 25, then the disciples took him by night. So here he is, he's up in Damascus. This is 150 miles north of Jerusalem, by the way. And uh, the disciples said, we've got to get him out of here. They're going to kill him. And uh, we've got we've to sneak him out of town. So they took him by night and they let him down by the wall in a basket. So uh, if you compared that, we won't. But if you went to 2 Corinthians 11, it says that the governor had soldiers out to get him. And they were coming to arrest him. And because he was stirring up so much trouble that the, the Gentile uh, people, the Roman uh, authorities, they thought, we better do something to straighten this thing out. So he was causing quite a stir, and he had to be let down the wall in a basket. How humiliating would that have to be if you had to just kind of 
It would look like you're turning tail and running and sneaking out with nobody else seeing you going. You know, that'd be humiliating for Saul. He was a basket case at that point, yeah. <laughs> being let down. He was the hunted, yeah. Yes. That'd be humiliating. Well, Mom always said when I was a little girl, all these women had a prayer meeting, Paul didn't like women. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he... he, 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 he people don't like Paul. They don't. And uh, what he says is not just the custom of the time or the culture of the time, it's Scripture. And so Paul... People don't like him because he said that a woman's not to speak in church. And uh, if we ever study that, we'll, we'll deal with that. It's not what we're dealing with tonight. It doesn't mean that women can't say amen or, or say that there's going to be a potluck this Thursday or something like that. It's talking about taking authority over men and teaching. Women are not allowed to do that. And um, so that's, that's Paul for you. <clears throat> and here's, here's, well, we're going to see the difference between that. I'm glad you brought that up. Paul is our apostle. He's the apostle to the Gentiles. We are to follow him in doctrine, in his example, in suffering for the gospel. He's the one we follow. We don't follow Peter. We don't even follow Jesus without Paul. Paul says, "Be you want to see it real quick? Look at, uh, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Let's go ahead and just look at it. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1. And then we'll, we will uh, go ahead and stop with our escape in the basket. We'll come back to Acts chapter 9 and, and wrap it up. <clears throat> and we'll look at the hunter now being hunted and having to escape in a way that was humiliating from his first city, his first citywide evangelistic campaign. And he had to flee in a basket. So 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1. It says here, now this is Paul writing, and he tells the Christians in Corinth, Be ye followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. So Paul says, I'm following Christ, you follow me. What this does not mean, this does not mean that, for example, we would, we would apply it this way. Folks, I'm your pastor, and you're to follow me so long as I'm following Christ. And if I'm not following Christ, you're not to follow me. That's how that's applied. That's not, that's not accurate. You know what that is? That's a failure to uh, put the doctrine of the Word of God first. That's applying Scripture practically. And that is the spirit of this age. Can, can I do a tangent real quick? Is that all right? If I do a little rabbit trail? Okay. Hold your place here because we're going to go to 1 Corinthians 4 on our way back to Acts. And we're going to see it again. But listen, this is what they say today. They say, what this means is this means that you are to follow your spiritual leaders so long as they follow Christ. And it is taking it out of context. And it is, it is uh, basically a refusal to study the Bible the way that the Bible says to, to study it. What does the Bible say about study? It says, uh, Paul gives uh, the, uh, the information to Timothy. He tells, Tim, tells Timothy, listen, Timothy, all scripture is given by inspiration of God, right? And is profitable for what? Profitable for doctrine. So, what is the first thing that Scripture is profitable for? For doctrine, for reproof, for correction, 
for instruction in righteousness. That's 2 Timothy 3.16. So the first thing that Scripture is profitable for is doctrine. Then reproof. What is reproof? Reproof is a soft correction. Uh, Rebuke is a hard correction. Instruction in righteousness. That's the practical. Paul said, Timothy, when you teach the Bible, teach the doctrine first. You say, what's the doctrine? The doctrine is the teaching. That means that there are things that apply to you doctrinally that do not apply to uh, Jews in the tribulation. Or there are things that apply to the Jews in the Old Testament doctrinally that do not apply to you. For example, you can have bacon tomorrow for breakfast, but a Jew in the Old Testament could not have bacon for breakfast. There's things that apply to you doctrinally, and that's how you're supposed to understand the Scripture. Okay, let me wrap up this thing and, and we'll move on. Look at 1 Corinthians 4 and verse 16. In other words, whenever you study, especially Paul's writings, always get the doctrine first. Get the doctrine first. The doctrine is, who's it go to? Who's it apply to? What's the teaching for me? How's this to be understood? And always get that first. Verse 16 of 1 Corinthians 4. Wherefore I beseech you, be ye followers of me. Now again, understand the doctrine. Then there's the practical. Do that second. Then there's other things. The historical. But what they do today is they flip it around and it's all about application. I love the application study Bible. That's good. But today it's all application. It's all just, how does this apply to me? How does this affect me on Monday morning? What, is, what, what difference does this make in my life? And God says, no, the first thing you need to understand is you need to understand doctrine. And get your doctrine straight. Five judgments, they're not the same. That's why we've been doing that. That's the first thing to get straight. Eternal security for the believer in the age of grace, in the church age. It's not eternal security in the tribulation. But it is in the church age. Got to get your doctrine straight. You know how you know that? The Apostle Paul. That's the only way you know that. The Apostle Paul. Now, after you understand the doctrine, then you understand the context. Why did Paul say, be ye followers of me, even as I also am of Christ? He kept pleading with him. I plead with you. Please follow me. Why did he say that? Because he was given revelation in the desert That was different than the 11 disciples. Paul had to eventually straighten Peter out. And he had Judaizers coming into the churches. Everywhere Paul went, these Jewish believers would come and say, listen, salvation is by faith plus something. Faith plus works. Paul said, don't follow them. Follow me. See, if you take it out of context, you can make it mean whatever you want it to mean. But in context, Paul is saying... I, he would say, I am the apostle of the Gentiles. I magnify my office. What does that mean? Paul says, what I am doing is extremely important for the continuance of the church. And I'm putting a magnifier on that and I'm making it big because it's so important. He says, I'm not magnifying myself and my ministry, but my office. What was his office? A teaching office. Doctrine. You've got to get it straight. You've got to follow Paul. You know what they do? In these churches that are going apostate, they say that old Paul, uh, he he couldn't get along with anybody. So we don't want to listen to him. What did Jesus say? 
Jesus never said anything about homosexuality. Jesus was loving and accepting it from everybody. So come as you are, all are welcome here. And that message, and uh, they'll go to Jesus. They won't talk about what Paul had to say about human sexuality. They won't talk about what Paul had to say about eternal security and so on, you see. So back to Acts chapter 9, we'll finish it up there. Be a follower of Paul because he was a chosen vessel and he had a very special purpose. But there at the beginning of his ministry, the the hunter became the hunted. I like that, Brother Randy. He became the hunted. And uh, the Lord was going to give him another friend. He was going to give him uh, a man named Barnabas. After Ananias, the Lord was going to give him another man to help him out. But let's finish up in verse 26. When Saul was come to Jerusalem, he essayed to join himself to the disciples, but they were all afraid of him. So he left by night, let down out of the city walls in a basket, and went to Jerusalem 150 miles. But everybody in Jerusalem was afraid of him because they believed, they did not believe that he was a disciple. Isn't that something? So we're studying how his ministry started, and I thought we'd get through Acts chapter 9, but we're not going to get through it. But um, how it started and everything that he would have to suffer uh, for us. Any questions about what I said tonight? Because um, you're, uh, you're getting into real doctrinal biblical teaching, what we're doing here on Sunday nights. And uh, we're looking at it in detail. Um, any questions about that? What that means to be a follower of Paul? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. And what I what I would uh, encourage you to do? Uh, uh, have you? Who here has heard things like what I was saying tonight? If you've heard somebody teach things like what I was saying tonight. Three or four of us, okay? So I recognize that coming in tonight. I know that's going to happen. Okay, everything that I showed you, I showed you from Scripture, right? This is what I do when I receive truth, or when I, when I receive a teaching, this is what I do. I put it on the back burner. So just put it back there, put it on simmer, and this is what you'll do. As you read your Bible, then just say, Pastor John said this, and see if it rings true with the rest of Scripture. Okay? Do that. And then do also do this. <clears throat> Pray and say, Lord, are these things so? And search the Scriptures. Be like a Brian. Search the Scriptures. See if they're so. And this is the other thing I'd say. What I mean by all of this is I mean that Paul, he had some things to teach in his letters and we're supposed to follow him doctrinally. Okay? We follow him doctrinally. We follow his teaching, his letters, his teaching. And we, by uh, following those and learning those, we're able to understand the rest of the scriptures. They interpret the scriptures for us. And then we also learn that um, if there's something in the Bible that we find that doesn't seem to agree with what Paul said, it's different then you start to see that there's not contradictions in the Bible, but there are, there are things that belong to the Jews during the earthly ministry of Jesus that don't belong to us. For example, much of the teaching on the Mount, the Sermon on the Mount, that's, that's the constitution for the kingdom. The things about the tribulation, 
They don't belong to us. If you start putting yourself under tribulation teaching, you start thinking, I've got to endure to the end to be saved. No, you don't. No, you don't. You're sealed until the day of redemption. Doesn't belong to you. So anything that doesn't agree with Paul is not a con- contradiction. It just doesn't belong to you doctrinally. Doesn't belong to you doctrinally. Now, what I just said, all you have to do is just put that on the back burner and just read through Scripture and see if it rings true to Scripture. And I know it will. This is what people say. People say the Bible contradicts itself. They say there's things in here and I don't understand. And um, one thing in the Old Testament and then another thing in the New. And they say, how can anyone understand this? The key to understanding it is rightly dividing the word of truth. And the key to rightly dividing the word of truth is understanding Paul and following him doctrinally. But we, Yes, and you've got to be saved to understand the scriptures at first anyways. And we're not supposed to just become eggheads and just get together for Bible studies all the time and just you know, get all puffed up in our knowledge. We're also, also supposed to follow him in his ministry. And what did he do everywhere that he went? He preached Christ. He preached Christ. And we need to do the same. Let's go ahead and pray. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you tonight for the scriptures. I pray, Father, that you'd help us to go home to search the scriptures to see whether these things are so. And Lord, help us to, uh, to stick with Paul and to follow him doctrinally and to follow him in his uh, example for ministry and to follow his pattern. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right.